0: Show me the money, Trump tells NATO to pay its way. Next up, a palace dinner, tea with the Queen, a round of golf, and then it's caviar with Putin. And the biggest fly-past in memory.
1: Finally, here they are,
2: celebrating the first 100 years of the RAF.
0: President Trump landed in Britain this afternoon. He left behind a political vapour trail over 28 NATO heads of government in Brussels. He said most of you have got to pay much more for defence. Here he is speaking at the press conference before he left.
3: I told people that I'd be very unhappy if they didn't up their commitments very substantially because the United States has been paying a tremendous amount, probably 90% of the cost of NATO. And now people are going to start and countries are going to start upping their commitment. So I let them know. uh, I let them know that I was extremely unhappy with what was happening. And uh, they have substantially upped their commitment.
0: Well, this afternoon, the 28 leaders have been debating what happens next. Who can pay more? Who can't pay more? So what have they said? James Hurst is in NATO's headquarters in Brussels. Hello, James. Has every country agreed to do what Mr Trump said they should do, pay at least 2% and and for some as much as 4% of their GDP on defence?
1: Well,
4: the message from the Secretary General is all allies have committed to raise quote this number substantially Uh, what he was saying there is that we've been increasing defense spending since that commitment in 2014 he says we are now adding billions all allies he said have committed to raise this number substantially Donald Trump's way of putting it was everybody in that room agreed to pay more and to pay it more quickly now Donald Trump said he felt yeah we would soon be going beyond 2% as the baseline but what is absolutely clear Nobody has signed up at this point to increase the 2% of GDP baseline. The, the summit declaration only says we reaffirm our unwavering commitments to all aspects of the defence investment pledge agreed at the 2014 Wales Summit.
0: And James, President Trump is painting this nevertheless is a huge personal victory, is it? it
4: is again if you look at the language of uh, the secretary general uh, he says all allies have heard president trump's message loud and clear there is a new sense of urgency he said due to president trump's strong leadership so trump got to uh, paint himself as a victor here and the words of the secretary general back him up however he has not achieved as much as he might present so his suggestion that he's achieved something that no other president has achieved in getting people to spend more well no we were on a path to spending more Mm. to me what it looks like is what he has achieved is a speeding up in that however back to that declaration it only commits to the 2014 pledge now some countries were not on track to meet that 2014 pledge. Their plans were not going to reach 2% by 2024. Mm. He has clearly now very firmly put them on notice that they're going to have to meet that 2024 pledge. But what more it might deliver, that is only to be seen in the years ahead and of course remember the 2014 pledge we all thought everybody was going to be on track and it slipped fairly quickly.
0: And James um, from being there I mean I know before President Trump arrived there was a great deal of anxiety of which Donald Trump would turn up for this NATO conference. How do you think he's mm. been received? How are the Alliance members reacting and talking now?
4: I I have no doubt that some of the conversations have been bruising. The language from others has been fairly diplomatic. They've pushed back in a more traditionally diplomatic way. I think what they will be pleased about, essentially, what I can see here is Donald Trump did quite a Donald Trump thing and and, and quite, in a way, a classic business thing. You come in, you say, this is all terrible. You knock everything down. We're gonna do it this way, we're gonna do it that way. You agree to this, you agree to that. And then at the end he says, look at this amazing thing we've built. Mm. His opening of his news conference, he said, it's been a very amazing two days. We have accomplished a lot, tremendous progress made. And I think they will at least take comfort that he leaves saying nice things about nato given the things that he was saying before were not so nice
0: all right james on that note we'll leave it james hurst in brussels thank you very much well let's bring in the former director general of the royal united services institute professor michael clark and our defense analyst christopher lee professor clark what do you make of it all
1: well, I think uh, James was onto it there when he said, you know, that they wonder which Trump was going to turn up. And uh, if, if, only, if, if it's only the rude and insulting uh, Donald Trump, then that's okay, because they can, they can take a good kick in for a couple of days. The one they worry about, the Trump they really worry about, is the grand strategist Trump, mm. who may be calculating that he goes to President Putin on Monday and he does a big deal which is to say, I will recognize Crimea, I will acquiesce in your influence in Ukraine, particularly in the Donbass region, as long as you lean on the Iranians to get out of Syria and to keep a lower profile, and you yourself keep a lower profile. And what he might be saying to Mr Putin is, um, I won't bother you if you give me an easier ride in the Middle East, and the losers from that will be the Europeans, and in a way that will be his way of punishing the Europeans for, in his view, dragging their feet on NATO and making. Making it clear that so, he's he's prepared to do deals over the heads of Europe so
0: th- th- these announcements this press conference he gave today in Brussels do you think that really it's it's rather insignificant compared to what's to come
1: it may turn out to be I mean this I'm only speculating I've, nobody's told me anything about this but um, I think we can't judge the outcome of this summit in uh, <laughs> NATO until we see the outcome on Monday of his of his deal or his conversation with President Putin mm. because I'm sure that he sees it all of a piece he's he, you know he's come to Europe he's got something to say in Britain and he's going to see the Russians and I think he sees all of that as part of a single idea whether it's a coherent idea or not we don't yet know
0: Christopher Lee a single idea is Listen, it the first thing
3: to remember is that nobody but nobody has conversations with Donald Trump at these meetings I mean he makes what he says he sits somewhere else almost to say it uh, he arrived here after five or six days of what called five-line briefings on the back of an iPad uh, to say right what do they expect what do they need what can I say are they important the idea of NATO being important yes as an organization but to him no it means it plays nowhere in mm. the United States and that is the importance the big meeting of uh, of the trip is with Putin Putin was the fella he will stand he will go on, uh, he and Putin on CBS etc will be the big story yes that is what
1: we are really waiting for. Let's
0: not forget that he's in the UK though and he's meeting the Queen. What can we expect of the British leg of the visit, Michael Clarke?
1: Um, Well, that it it passes in as boring a way as possible. I don't think it will, because he's already thrown himself into the middle of the Brexit debate, effectively saying what Boris Johnson is saying, and and Theresa May is bound to have to come back on that when they uh, meet again at uh, Chequers and possibly even at the dinner at Windsor. So, I mean, he's being whisked, as we speak, from uh, Stansted Airport uh, into uh, the ambassador's residence here on the Thames, just up the Thames from where I am now. Then it'll be uh, into... uh, Um, Blenheim Palace for a grand dinner then it's Chequers tomorrow Uh, then Windsor with the Queen then Mm. off to Scotland to Ayrshire which is far away from anywhere and so uh, it's a very managed visit I mean, in a sense the British government just wants to get through this visit Mm. it had to happen because he'd been invited it would be worse if he weren't coming given that he's in Europe Um, so the British government will just want to get through it in as measured and mannered a way as it possibly can and they'd like it to be as boring as possible
0: Christopher Lee, uh, Hang,
3: hang on, I'll take issue with one spot. Go on. Uh it would be worse if he didn't come. No. I don't <laughs> think that, I don't think there's a political ice ball to cut in this at all. If he didn't turn up you know, what's the news tomorrow is the return of the uh, return of the main yeah. story of the week. So Christopher- oh, but we'd
1: invited him. I mean, we, we'd invited him to a state visit. That's maybe not going to happen now. But at least this this ticks the box. It I confirms the fact that we invited him and he came. I yeah.
3: tell you the funniest part of this is going to be in the private office of the palace. Yes. It's, it's How to-
0: will the Queen handle oh, Donald the poor Trump? Queen,
3: well, obviously. I will tell you. The Queen <laughs> will handle it this way. It, you, you, you will have a very quiet uh, aside from the uh, private secretary to the Queen. Your Majesty... Remember one thing, if I may say. He will tweet every single word that you say to him. Do not say anything that you wouldn't want to read mm. on your iPhone.
1: The Queen's uh, best question to him is, what do you do?
3: <laughs> no, actually, that is no, no, no it's not. No, no, it's, it's twofold, isn't it? It's the royal question, it's twofold. Have you come far? Uh, and the second one what is, you, okay, is what's what, keeping you busy?
0: What would you tell the Queen to ask Donald Trump? I would ask... You're a former royal correspondent.
3: Well, ask Donald Trump, I would probably say, uh, if I look at the whole list of your, uh, your international obligations at the moment, which ones can you afford to forget?
0: Michael Clark,
1: I, I think she might well talk to him about China. Um, I think she might say, we're very interested and intrigued by the way you're opening to China, but in a rather guarded sense. You know, just tell, tell me what you think your relationship will be with China in a couple of years. That's I think that would be the intelligent question to ask, and, that's and the, one to which I bet she would like a, a sensible answer. And mm-hmm.
3: the, best, the thing is, the Queen always asks questions, and she listens to answers. She does. She's come yeah. to, the Queen, at a royal visit, the Queen has come to learn... And she does.
0: Well, let's talk to Harry Horton from Feature Story News in Washington. Hello, Harry. What does the president want to get out of this trip that will play well in America?
2: Well, I think the truth is there's not a lot that the president can get out of this trip. It is such a scaled-down visit. I mean, it was 18 months ago that Theresa May came to the White House as the first foreign leader to meet with President Trump in the White House and promised this grand state visit to President Trump. And in truth they struggled to arrange uh, this uh, very uh, small scale working visit for the past 18 months so this does seem like it's a box ticking exercise to get the trip out of the way. Now, uh, President Trump will visit a military site with uh, Theresa May so we could expect some, some minor announcements on uh, defence partnerships perhaps. There will be discussions about trade. where are uh, and discussions about partnerships in the Middle East, perhaps as well. But the main focus, from the U.S. point of view, most of the uh, American public and, and the American media, they're focused on uh, what is uh, either side of this visit, and that's the uh, trip to NATO that we've just seen over the past few days, and President Trump's meeting with President Putin uh, following this visit to the U.K. The pictures of President Trump meeting the Queen. Uh, President Trump will relish that, and he will be looking to to, to showcase that back home. In and improve his statesman-like image. Uh, But other than that, there's not a whole lot uh, that the US is hoping to get out of this visit.
0: So, uh, Christopher, uh, when you hear from that, it does sound like, apart from uh, pictures with the Queen, there's not an awful lot to to tell the American audience.
3: It it doesn't matter if he came at at all. Nobody loses any political dice on this one at all. I tell you, the picture, the real picture that it wants is with the Queen, yes, but for the British public, is the picture with Meghan. At the dinner. And that'll be there, will it? The Daily Mail insists. Who's going to be at the dinner? I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Not party? you or me, Christopher. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's for sure, and probably yeah. never. Yeah. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you, Harry Horton. Uh, the rest of you, the other two, please stay with me.
5: Sit Rep with Kate
0: Still to come, the RAF celebrates 100 years in the sky and remembering Lord Carrington. Sit Rep. Well, of course, we did mention it on Monday. President Trump will meet President Putin in Helsinki. It's the meeting Trump said might be the easiest one of his European visit. Alexander Nekrasov is a former adviser to the Kremlin. Alexander, hello. Uh, Trump says he hopes one day they will be friends. But what will President Putin want out of this meeting?
5: Hello. Uh, well, it, it is an unusual meeting because uh, it's actually the first proper Uh, meeting when they're not meeting on the sidelines of some other summit, but they're having quite a lot of time to spend together. And as I understand, they will have an hour one on one without anyone, even the translators, no one. So that probably would be sending all the NATO allies uh, trembling with fear. Because, um, uh, you know, if no, nobody would, would know what, what is going on. Now, as I understand, Putin is actually enjoying this whole thing because, um, you know, uh, according to the officials from all over Europe, uh, uh, the, the NATO countries are terrified if there is a deal mm. between Russia and America mm. of some sort. And um, I, I think that um, after the uh, successful Brussels meeting for Trump, because he got what he wanted.
0: Do you think there will uh, be a deal between the two of them?
5: Well, I don't think it will, be, it will come uh, this time around, because uh, I think they need to talk to each other before anything comes through. But, uh, you know, just the meeting itself and the response from other Western capitals, I think it's already uh, is a bit of fun for Putin himself, because the fear in Western capitals is that they can actually strike a friendship and they can actually agree something now. Trump's visit to Britain, I think you know he is mostly preoccupied mm-hmm. uh, with the response in America. Mm-hmm. I think he's very happy with what happened in Brussels. I don't think he will treat Theresa May seriously. I think she's on the way out. They understand that. Yeah, but these photos with the Queen are priceless back mm-hmm. in America. And then comes the, uh, the Putin's visit and uh, sorry, Putin's uh, summit. And uh, I think he would consider this to be a successful European trip.
0: Mm. Uh, Professor Michael Clark, at that press conference in in Brussels today, uh, President Trump was asked if President Putin were to ask him to stop any military exercises in the Baltics, would he? And he didn't actually answer the question, but he said they'd talk about a lot of things. (laughs) Do you think there there are going to be some announcements? Do you think there will be a deal sometime in the future after this meeting?
1: yes I mean I, I doubt that there'd be any announcements immediately after the meeting as we just said but um, the idea that the groundwork may be laid for uh, a sort of some sort of grand bargain I think is entirely plausible I mean I'm sure that's what's in President Trump's mind anyway I think he's been interested in that for some time and for sure president Putin is too um so I, I and I think when he's asked specific questions on NATO exercises because NATO is fearful that a, an announcement similar to that which was made over the head of the South Koreans after the North Koreans summit where you know nothing that was mentioned in the communique and then suddenly he said oh yes and we're going to cancel exercises and he said that on the hoof afterwards and that has been the case that really does worry the NATO allies hmm. that policy might just be made on the hoof like this mm. Um but I, I, I don't think there'll be a series of announcements on Monday yeah. at the end of the visit to Mr Putin.
0: Alexander Nikrasov he was also asked today President Trump what he thought of Putin he said he didn't consider him as a friend because he didn't know him well enough. He said he wasn't an enemy, but he saw him as a competitor. What does President Putin think of Donald Trump?
5: Well, uh, I think he, he thinks that uh, he can work with him. I think he uh, looks forward to that summit. And uh, I, I think that, you know, there, there is no not, not that much pressure on Putin at the moment to actually deliver anything from that summit. That summit for Putin is enough already... For people back in Russia to see him as a world statesman talking to the one on one to the American president. So that already uh, as a a PR exercise is is okay for him. Mm -hmm. Now whether they will get along and and achieve something that's a completely total different matter. But I I think that. um, The way Trump behaved himself in Brussels, I think uh, Putin sees a chance for himself there.
3: Chris Willey. The achievement, if if that's what it is, is Trump saying, "Okay, well, uh, Mr. Putin is going to be back in the G7, G8. Uh, and that's extraordinarily important because that's that's you know he's been banned and therefore he's brought him back and that's a change of relationship. You can also say that uh, a greater representation, a frequent representation at the NATO council meetings, that will be uh, very important. Those things. And when
0: would that happen? How soon might that happen? Tomorrow. You think so? Well, yeah. Well, because not you're not really to worry, gonna, well
3: yeah. You're only going to say that's what we're going to do, and then job done. And I think that everything that 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 appeals to to, to uh, Donald Trump's sort of sense that it can be done because it doesn't actually make a huge amount of difference. And that's what we're really saying. All these these grand meetings and grand gatherings, I mean, so far, the all we've got out of this is a picture of Mr. Putin with the Queen. I mean, <laughs> the rest of it will not actually sort of make any any great surprises for example i mean you know when uh, alexander was was saying about how nato reacts to it uh, nato is not going to be terrified about exercises being cancelled they can they can reshuffle those they can they can they can reform them and uh, we're getting towards uh, a time when that's happening anyway and so it's not terrifying it is a question of changing not relationships but bringing them back onto a more stable level that yes. is the way we live today where we're having to rethink the whole concept of what we do whether it be warfare or, or diplomatic relations more
0: stable level and he, d- he does say he's a stable genius doesn't he um alexander nikrasov what do you think those two men will talk about if they are in fact alone for an hour without translators
5: well first of all i think putin will make his uh, case about not uh, expanding Continuing to expand now, you know, there's talk that Georgia is going to become a NATO member. Uh, Putin will probably talk about that. There are also sort of uh, hints that at some point Ukraine might become a NATO member. I think he should. He would pointed that this would cause a serious problem for Russia. And um, that is one major issue. I think our nuclear arms control may be mentioned there although it's difficult to see how they can progress on that matter. And, of course, uh, the, the matter of Middle East and terrorism generally, they, they, will, con- they will have to talk about it because these, these are serious issues. You can't get away from them. But uh, more importantly is when they have this summit all to themselves, proper one, I think they will have some sort of a ability to establish an understanding that they didn't have yet. For for, for Russia and America, that is important. For Trump, I think it's also important to have more achievements uh, made. Even if he announces something which doesn't really mean much, I think he's gathering his baggage for the midterm elections in November. So he needs those, you know... Can he speak much Russian? Sorry?
0: Can he speak much Russian? Is he likely to try it?
5: well i don't think i think putin speaks quite decent english by now Mm. and so they can talk together without Hmm. even an interpreter it's quite important you know a lot of people are terrified when leaders talk to each other without anyone Mm. that's great you can keep all your advises and aids in in, in horror, basically, <laughs> when, when you talk directly. And I think this, this is a very good thing for them.
0: The ultimate power trip. Alexander Nikrasov, <laughs> good to speak to you. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us today. Well, Lord Carrington, a former Foreign Secretary who went on to become NATO Secretary General, died earlier this week. Christopher Lee is Lord Carrington's authorised biographer. You knew him well, didn't you, Christopher? What should people know and remember about him?
3: Uh, an honourable man. Uh, he resigned from as as foreign secretary, eighty <clears> two, <throat> when the Argent, Argen, Argentinians uh, invaded uh, the Falklands, and he said that was his fault as foreign secretary because he should have been able to persuade Margaret Thatcher, who was then prime minister, to to, to prevent that, to take action uh, to prevent it. Uh, he felt th- thought the foreign office had failed, so he resigned, uh, um, and so he's seen as really a decent guy that resigned. It's interesting though. Um, he was also defence secretary. And a lot of people forget that. Uh, he was a, quite a successful defence secretary because he thought that the army, especially, had had too much messing around with, mm. and just let them settle. And he and they thought, well, you can't do that sort of thing. He said, yes, you can. You just let everybody settle down, and sort of see when they become better established. But of course, then what happened? Uh, and all the troubles in Northern Ireland, and he was he was largely not responsible for them. Yes. But res- but in a position. Of not knowing that it happened.
0: And he kept a keen interest in defence and the military, didn't he, even as he got older?
3: Oh, yes. I mean, he was in NATO Secretary General. But he was always asking questions. He used to say to me, uh, he said, who are, the, who are the big beasts now? Who are the big ideas? Hmm. Where are they coming from? And he'd look around, shake his head. He said, There are no lions left.
0: Oh, dear. Now, the Chief of the Defence Staff has said Russia's subversive tactics pose the biggest threat to our way of life since the end of the Cold War. General Sir Nick Carter was speaking as he addressed the Chief of the Air Staff's Air Power Conference in London. He urged air chiefs from around the world to change now for modern threats or risk being defeated.
2: Energy, cash, corrupt business practices, cyber, assassination, fake news and good
3: old-fashioned military intimidation are all examples of the weapons used to gain advantage in this era of constant competition.
0: Christopher Lee, Looking forward to the future and preparing against those modern threats, we've had an interesting development even today, haven't we? The first transatlantic unmanned aircraft arrived in Britain today. From yeah,
3: the if, you, if you if you look at the, you think about air power, you think about airplanes, right? And you think about well, you know, 19, uh, the first the first world war, how we discovered air power, but fighters in the second world war, bombers, uh, and now and and then the jet engine, etc. We look developments in the airplane. We do and, and that we have a capability of what we can do now what we're doing for the first time for a long time is looking for looking for airplanes that we can Mm. find that will do things that we hadn't thought of doing before Mm. and therefore you you get nick carter talking for example about cyberspace Uh, how do do you use airplanes for that i was talking to a couple of guys last night whose job it is to look how are we going to develop airplanes to attack uh, terrorism problem is you can't just build an aeroplane and say that's what we do. What the idea is, you simply go out and you find out what's there. But the next thing is the pilot, the aeroplane.
0: Professor, Professor Michael Clark is still with us. Uh, Professor Michael, of course, this week was the week where there's a massive fly past, All eyes on the RAF for RAF 100 centenary mm-hmm. celebrations. How did that play in your mind? Oh, it
1: was, very, it was a very impressive fly past. I mean, all these successive waves of, of aircraft coming through, and they represented everything that the RAF had, really, from Second World War through to the F-35, the new Lightning two fighter. But, you know, um, although there were 100 aircraft there, um, they flew a Sentinel across as part of the display. That's the, one of the uh, airborne um, I-Star aircraft, you know, that does the electronic stuff in the air. And the fact is we've only got four of them. We used to have five of them. We've now only got four. I was a bit surprised they managed to get one into the into the display because one, one of the four is all, always on the ground for training. One is normally in refit. So in reality, we've normally only got two that are flying. The fact is that the numbers we have are very, very low. Mm. And the F-35, wonderful stealth aircraft that it, that it is, as somebody said, how did they know it was there if it was so stealthy? You know, a little fellow in a sitting position at 30,000 feet. Um, but the, the four F-35s flew over. I mean, At the moment we've got 15. 15 have been delivered and we're not sure in, how many we'll get but eventually. But in terms of a
0: celebration, it was job done, wasn't it, let's face it?
1: Absolutely. Yes. Mm. I mean, it, it celebrated the the and, the nature of the RAF and, and a the... very distinguished history.
0: Professor Michael Clark, thank you. Christopher, um, just before we go today, what is, I mean, you were there on the mail, weren't you, uh, when the RAF fly pass took place. What's your abiding memory of that day?
3: I think it's the actual presentation of the Queen's Colours. The Queen's Colours is a 36 by 36 inch flag with her emblem right in the middle and she touches it she comes down the steps, she touches the flag and she says to the ref take this flag this color and guard it very carefully because it represents the moral and the distinctions of our country if it should fall then those distinctions will be usurped and it's a quiet moment with her and the bishop and that it ends
0: well, I'm afraid that's almost all we have time for today. If you want to have your say, you can tweet us at sitrep. We'll be back same time next week. But before we go, here are some of the sounds of this week's RAF 100 celebrations in London.
2: The Royal Air Force in its first hundred years has been a decisive factor in saving this country's independence, its democracy, and its freedom its hope of civilization and its contribution to humanity for the future.
1: Stand Start easy! Stand at Start easy!
0: Chief of the Air Staff, today is a very special day. Presenting the Royal Air Force with a new Queen's color provides an opportunity to congratulate the service for your remarkable contribution to defense over the last hundred years. Tenacity, skill, and gallantry have been your hallmarks as you have helped to safeguard freedom and security in many parts of the world. I remember the Battle of Britain being fought in the skies above us, and we shall never forget the courage and sacrifice of that time.
2: Our founders 100 years ago would be astounded by our air and space capabilities today, and what we have achieved throughout our history. But they would also be reassured that the identity, ethos and self-belief that they breathed into the Royal Air Force at our birth remains as fresh and powerful today as then.
1: The last element of RAF frontline aircraft flying over Buckingham Palace today is a formation of 22 Typhoon aircraft from RAF Coningsby and RAF Lossomouth. Now, we have tried to keep this formation a surprise, with rehearsals taking place over the North Sea. But finally, here they are, celebrating the first 100 years of the RAF. Of British news, sport, and entertainment for the British forces overseas. This is BFBS Radio 2.
0: The government publishes its plans on Brexit. Chris Morris tells us what's in the white paper. Finally,
1: and it's